Turn with me in your Bible to James chapter 5, verse 13 through 18. James chapter 5, verse 13 through 18. Uh, Back home in Houston, we've been traveling through the book of James and going through a series entitled Be Perfect. And uh, in light of where you all were in the book of Matthew, I wanted to spend a little time in prayer in terms of praying and helping our congregation today as brothers and sisters in the Lord uh, look at the importance of prayer in the life of a church. Oftentimes when a person becomes a new believer, one of the fascinating things that we engage in is this heart and hunger for prayer. We begin to pray to God and ask God for things that we never prayed about before and, and, and ask God to save family members and friends and do specific things in our lives. I remember when I got my first prayer partner at Wheeler Avenue Baptist Church back in Houston and we prayed all the time. And then one of the things is, is you kind of grow in the faith. Sometimes that hot prayer life can fizzle out. That hot prayer life can go away if we be honest and true. And God is going to always show us that one of the things that you want to maintain in your life is a vital, vibrant prayer life. Amen? Because it's desperately needed in all the situations that we find ourselves in life. So in James chapter 5, if you'll stand for the reading of the word of God, I'm reading from the New American Standard. James chapter 5, verse 13 through 18. James chapter 5, verse 13 through 18. James writes these words. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He has to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up if he's committed sins they will be forgiven him therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain It did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be holy and acceptable in your sight, for you are my rock and my redeemer. Lord, as we gather together today, Lord, I pray that you would draw our hearts and minds closer to you and closer to one another. Father, for there are various things that we experience in life and things that we go through. And Lord, we desperately need you and we desperately need one another, Father God, to engage this walk in which we pursue you. Father God, in which we passionately come after you with the desire to be more and more like you. And so, God, I pray that you would take the words of Scripture and speak into the hearts of your people, that you might be glorified in all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and thank God. James chapter 5, verse 13 through 18, I'd like to tag this text, perfect prayer, perfect prayer. In the book of James, the Lord's brother, half-brother, is writing to the original church that is found in Jerusalem between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 7. James is writing this church because this church has been scattered in connection with the stoning of Stephen. And James begins to write this church, and this is a church that, if you remember back in Acts 2 when Peter preaches at Pentecost, uh, 3,000 new believers or souls are added to the body of Christ. 
You consistently see in Acts chapter 4, there are now 5,000 men in the church. That's males. In Acts chapter 5, there's multitudes of people that are being saved in this church. And, And this church is growing. But one of the things that characterized the early church was their devotion. This was a church that was devoted to great things. The Bible says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, fellowship, and they were also devoted to prayer. This was a church that knew what prayer could do. This was a church that believed that God uh, did amazing things through prayer. They remember and they recall when the apostles said, can we preach the gospel boldly and that you would extend your hand to perform miracles? They knew what prayer was all about. But having gone through some struggles in life and having been scattered, their prayer lives began to fall off. And one of the areas in which God was hoping to perfect them and to make them mature was in the area of prayer. Because this church had really stopped praying and had started mouthing off about each other. Throughout the book of James, if you're reading James chapter 1, he says, be slow to speak, slow to anger. In James chapter 2, he says, hey, act and live and speak as if those who are going to be judged by the perfect law of liberty. In James chapter 3, he talks about your tongue and can sweet and bitter things come out of the same mouth. That's James 3. In James 4, he says, don't speak against one another. In James 5, he says, quit talking about each other. That it's amazing that here it is, is that a church that was so devoted to God, so connected to the Lord, and so connected to the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ, had now internally turned on one another versus externally working on the world, and had begun to talk about each other. He says, your, your lives have changed because here's the interesting thing, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And while God, 1 Samuel 16 and 7, is the one who reads the heart, man can't do that. Man will always reveal his heart. And the way man reveals his heart is clearly seen by what he talks about. And he said, now you're talking against each other. And James is writing them, correcting them, saying, please, brothers and sisters, mature. Don't speak against each other. So as we go from perfect prayer, I want to give you the definition of perfect. What does it mean to be perfect? It does not mean to be 100% accurate, never making a mistake, flawless and sinless. That's not what Jesus means when he says, be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. Like James writes in James chapter 1, you are to be perfect. See, oftentimes as Christians, we say, oh, we've bought into the, the, to the colloquialism. No, nobody can be perfect. Well, Jesus asked us to be perfect. James writes for us to be perfect. But the question is, what does perfect mean? Perfect is about maturity. Watch, it says, to reach the end of or to complete a process. To be complete in all parts, full grown, lacking in nothing. It comes from going through the necessary stages and or to reach the end goal. It's found first in James 1, 2 through 4 where it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith is going to produce endurance and that let endurance have its perfect work so that you might be perfect and lack nothing. That in order to go through a process, when the term perfect is used in the Bible, it is actually used, Jesus uses it and James uses it, it's used as if it is a pirate's telescope. Where you first, he pulls out his telescope and when he pulls it out, it's this short. But then as he begins to extend it from length to length, you can finally look through it and it's fully extended and you can see what it was designed to accomplish. You can see as far as it was designed, it is to be perfect, to be stretched out, to be put to the test. But you've got to go through the necessary stages of development. And what James is telling them is, listen, brothers and sisters, you have been become imperfect in your conversations. Your conversations are not to God. Your conversations are to each other about one another. 
Now, the interesting thing about this is that this is the church of Jerusalem. This is that early church that saw all the miracles of God, but now they begin to infight. They turn the church of the living God into a middle school girl's locker room. They begin to gossip about one another, not spread the gospel. They begin to speculate against one another versus offer salvation to to other people. Their conversation has changed. He says, I want to change your conversation, but now I want to show you the definition of of prayer. What does it mean to pray? It is a wish expressed as a petition to God to interact with the Lord by switching from human wishes and or ideas for his wishes, ideas and desires as he imparts faith. Now, this is an interesting definition of prayer. It's found uh, in the Greek background. It says this, a wish expressed as a petition to God and to interact with the Lord by switching from human wishes and ideas to God's wishes and ideas. That oftentimes that when we go out to pray and we start praying, we can go into a prayer asking God for what we want. But when we really interact with God in a time or season of prayer, God will change our desires while we're praying. Y'all didn't get it yet. Watch this. Uh, You don't like your boss, although you're a Christian. Now, you don't tell anybody that you don't like your boss because you're a Christian. Amen. And you're really praying, God, I hope that they fire the boss. And then God reminds you, well, didn't y'all go through 1 Peter 2 where it says, if you have a bad boss, bear up under a bad boss? And God says, no, why don't you just work like Joseph did while he was under Potiphar? Why don't you work like Joseph did while he was lied upon and found himself in jail? Why don't you work to the glory of God and not to the glory of man? See, in other words, when you go into prayer and you're really praying, you give God time to change you, not just change the situation. That God will work on you and show you, no, you need this pressure. You need to go through this process in order to be perfected. Without this pressure, without this process, you will not be perfected. So I need to change your desires. This was even found with the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he says, not my will, but thy will be done. It was not that Jesus Christ was afraid to go to the cross. For the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now, that's not it. It was, I don't want to be out of right relationship with my father, who I've always been in right relationship with. And as I take on the sins of mankind on me, for a moment, God has to say the the wrath of God is poured out on the one who had always experienced the love of God and fellowship with God. Jesus even has to change his will in his human and divine nature while praying. Can you think about your prayer life where you've often gone in or possibly I've gone in and we've thought about something that we wanted and then God shows you that's not really what you want? Have you thought about some of the no's from God that were actually blessings from God? Yo, I prayed for another wife. I got a whole nother one, amen. And the one I got was the right one that I was supposed to have. But if you would have asked me when my girlfriend and I were breaking up from college, we'd been dating four and a half years, and I told God, I said, look here, God, I don't know where you are in Rwanda, you know, Tanzania or somewhere, but you got to come help out your boy, Amen. Because you ain't answering my prayer right now. I, I need to be with her, God. I, I invested four and a half years. And God said, no, nah, homie, I got you. He, I, there's another one lined up for you. And so on that day when I was going to ask my wife's father for her hand in marriage, I was driving down I-45 and there was a sign that said Galveston, Texas, 45. But as I was driving down 45 to go ask her dad for her hand in marriage, there was a road that just shot off to the left. It said I-10 Beaumont. The girl that I dated in college was I-10 Beaumont. 
As I was driving down that street, God said, this is the straight and the narrow homeboy. You were trying to go off to the left. I changed your will in my prayer, amen, to give you what you needed, not what you wanted. And so let me talk to you about prayer problems, because everybody really needs to have answered prayer. But in this book, James shows us that there are places in our lives to where we will have prayer problems. Every believer will experience unanswered prayer and prayer problems when we pray with doubt. Every believer. In James chapter 1, after telling them about their trial, he says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. In context, he's saying, what do you need for your trial that you're going through? What do you need for the storm that you're going through? What do you need for the tribulation and situation that you find yourself in? What do you need? You need wisdom from God to teach you how to go through your trial. He says, but if you ask doubting, you're like a man that's on the surface of the sea, tossed to and fro. That man ought to not to expect to receive anything from God. Don't go to a father who has everything doubting if he can do anything. When you have a God who has the world under control and holds up the universes by the power of his word, how is it that we go to God doubting, questioning if God can come through, if God will come through? He says, don't doubt when you come to me, but if you ask, I will take care of you. The next thing he says is every believer will experience unanswered prayer or prayer problems when we pray, when we are prayerless and pray selfishly. In James 4, he says, you have not because you ask not. In other words, for whatever reason, I don't know why you haven't come to me, why you haven't asked me through prayer, but you're jealous and envious of what other people have, and so now you've stopped praying about what I want to do for you. Y'all, when we've been going through the book of James, God did a survey of my soul and just kind of opened me up and showed me some false ways about myself. In James chapter 4, we were going through and he says, he says, you, you're envious. I said, well, God, I, I wasn't raised that way to be envious of other people. See, because my dad and my mom taught me while we were growing up, they said, Blake, if God blesses someone else, if he puts his hand on somebody else's life, if you can't genuinely rejoice for what God is doing in their life, you're not in a position to be blessed. So we were trained that way, like if God does something, celebrate what God does for someone else. So I don't really consider myself envious. And then God said, no, 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 Blake, you're not envious, but you've become prayerless. I said, no, hold up, God. You know, know, I didn't ask you to show me all that. He said, let me show you how you become prayerless, Blake, because you serve on the board of Houston Church Planners Network. And on that board, we're the only predominantly African-American church that serves on that board. And you're talking about these great, big, gigantic other churches that are on that board. And so uh, one of our friends, they're building their third church, not their second church, their third church. And Bruce Wesley asked his congregation for $8 million, and they raised 13 We asked our congregation for the 18 acres that we're trying to build Resurrection Village on down the street from our land to do community work. We asked our congregation for $400,000, $500,000, and it's taken two years. And I'm like, uh, what you going to do with that extra $5 million, Bruce? A brother sure could use some. And then right after Hurricane Harvey that y'all heard about in Houston, one of our good friends, Pastor Dave Fleming of Champions Forest Baptist Church, they're raising $74 million over two years, watch this, after Hurricane Harvey, and they were affected by it. Regular church budget is $33 million, and they're picking up $40 million on an annual. And we're in a meeting, and he says, Blake, uh, we're, I, I'm, I'm struggling today. I said, what are you struggling about? He said, man, we're tracking at $64 million. Now, this isn't IOUs. This is like receipts. 
I'm saying, how are you struggling at 64 million? I'm trying to get brothers to give me 400,000. And God showed me, he said, Blake, now watch this. See, you didn't realize that you were actually envious. And the reason why you've quit praying about what I'm doing at Resurrection Village is because you're jealous of the fact that I'm doing this over here and I'm not doing this right here. And so now, Blake, you start praying about what I called you to do and you've become prayerless on that issue. Have you ever watched God bless somebody else and it affected your prayer life? You have not because you ask not. And then watch this. And when you do ask, you ask with selfish motives that you might spend on yourself. Now, now I wasn't asking about Resurrection Village about spending on myself. But y'all, I used to not be a preacher. I was in corporate America. And while in corporate America, at 29 years of age, I was making $235,000 a year. Two thirty-five dollars in 1999. $235,000. God calls me to the gospel ministry to be a youth pastor, and I go from $235,000 a year to $625 a week and no insurance. Can I do the math for you? That's $32,500, a decrease in salary of $203,000 a year. God, you could have called me when I was making less, amen. But during this time, I had company cars, and my wife had a car, and then my wife's a little, uh, the, the transmission went out. And so I said, I'm going to make my wife roll right. Bought her the black Lexus GS300 that I had seen on the LL Cool J video. A camel interior. Bought her that one. And then my mom and dad bought a Lexus because her dad was sick and she was traveling back and forth. And they bought the LS4. And I said, hold up, God. They can't have one bigger than me. They, they had a Honda. Now, this is, this is real truth. Now, they got the one bigger than me. So I went down, saw their car. And went and bought a black-on-black LS400 that weekend in Austin, not even in Houston where I'm from. I said, God, if you'll see fit to grant us this loan, I will make sure that I glorify you in this Lexus. Amen. Now, I already had a company car. And really, I already had enough money to not even pray about it. But I added God in the equation to pray about my selfish motives. And then watch what happened. One of my good friends got laid off of his job. And another friend told me, he said, Blake, you have, because I tried to, God started equipping me a little bit. God will equip you when you pray funny sometimes. And so it was like, you better sell this car and that car and get rid of them and get you a Honda Accord and a Honda Civic. And watch what happened. I said, God, what, what's going on here? Because and my friend said, Blake, you, you got some sin in your life. I said, man, I, I ain't doing nothing. And it took me back to you prayed with selfish motives. So that you could spend it on your own pleasures. Got rid of those cars and a friend lost his job. And literally in prayer, the Lord laid on my heart. I didn't know my best friend at at the time from Wheeler Avenue Baptist Church had lost his job. And the Lord laid on my heart, give him $1,000. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'll I'll obey because I I listen to you. I'll obey. Wrote him a check for $1,000, gave it to him on a Sunday he called me Sunday night. He said, man, do you realize that we needed to pay a bill that was $900 and I had just left my, lost my job? But see, Blake, God showed me whenever you pray selfishly, you wouldn't have been in position to bless that brother. So now I need you to change the way you pray. Be careful that your prayer life and my prayer life is not about our wants, but they're about God's desires. And let's walk into James chapter 1. I mean, excuse me, James chapter 5, verse 13. In James chapter 5, verse 13, he says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Here's what God does. 
Perfect prayer is God's prescription for us in the patient, painful seasons of life. God says, here it is. What I need you to do is to pray perfectly and maturely in the suffering seasons of your life. Now, this word suffering is an interesting word because it means that you have literally been afflicted, but the affliction is not designed to take you out. That that, that literally something did happen to you. You were wounded in the situation. You were bothered. You were uh, messed up and messed over. But the affliction was not designed to take you out. It is really a training ground and a proving ground for your maturity. So as you go through trial and tribulation, James 1, 2 through 4, don't be prayerless, be prayerful. Because sometimes when we start going through the difficulties of suffering in life, we don't really believe we're supposed to suffer. We don't really believe that God was supposed to allow that to happen to me. And so what happens is, is that when we're going through those seasons of suffering that we have to patiently endure, watch this, we'll stop praying. Because we'll think that there's something wrong with me and God, and God's not filling me right now, because otherwise I wouldn't be enduring this suffering. But yet Jesus suffered and prayed, and we think that we're going to go through life without suffering. And, and here's the deal. We don't believe the prosperity gospel, but we have prosperity gospel thinking. Whenever you stop praying as you're going through suffering, you don't think that you deserve to go through something. I can't believe this happened to me. Well, let's look at everybody in the Bible and something happened to them. So now how, are, how have we adopted the philosophy that God does not allow suffering to come into our lives? He uses suffering and affliction to mature us. And what he's saying is, is I want you to press in through prayer in seasons of suffering. That I want you to be more prayerful when you suffer than you were when you weren't suffering. See, everybody will lift up a little prayer when things are going well. But what about when you find yourself locked up in prison like the Apostle Paul? Will you be characterized as one who prays and praises while locked up? When seasons are going rough in your life, are you more talking to God or are you more talking to your friends who can't answer prayer? See, you'll really find out if you're perfect or imperfect in the area of prayer that when you go through something, who do you talk to? If all of a sudden your friend's telephone bill is going up like this, but you got the all-inclusive plan, so you, you got like 85 calls to them and like two calls to God, that means you're in perfect prayer. But when you say, God, I'm going to press in right here, and until you bring me to the other side, Lord, I'm pressing in through prayer. And in that patient, painful season of life, you will know the way I got out of this was through prayer. That the way, as I went through this trial, when I came out on the other side, I know that I got it because of answered prayer. How many of us have gone through a season of legitimate, real struggle in our lives And the way we got on the other side, we know it was only because we prayed. Some of us have literally just endured the season, but it wasn't prayer that we know for sure that was the answer. He says, in those difficult seasons of life, it ought to be because you were on your knees. Father, I need you. Father, show up and show me what to do. But now watch this. Here's the beauty of it. It's James 15 verse 13. The next part says this. Here's a new season. Is anyone cheerful? Then he is to sing praises. See, I need you to understand something. That perfect prayer will help us endure and mature until the blessing comes. But now, here's the other part. I want to make sure that y'all are with me. Go to James 5, 13b. You're a little ahead of me down here. James 5, 13b. Perfect praise is God's prescription for us in the victorious, overcoming seasons of life. Perfect praise. In other words, when you get on the other side of answered prayer after a season of enduring problems, do you praise God? 
Does God get a non-congregational praise? See, we can say he's everything all in here and we all sounded good. But with your bad voice and my bad voice, can he get some praise when he brings us through? Can he get a legitimate praise of God that I don't need a choir? I just know that you answered my prayer. I know that you brought me through. And so, Father, I'm going to lift my hands and give you glory. See, you ought to, y'all, I grew up in the old school Baptist church. Ain't no apology. And I used to wonder why folk were hollering and shouting. And then one day I grew up and got a little bit older and God answered a prayer for me on my job. And I was driving down I-45. I'm always on that freeway in Austin, in Houston, Texas. And y'all, all of a sudden, I had on Yolanda Adam, the good shepherd knows. And then went from the good shepherd knows to uh, uh, the battle's not yours, it's the Lord. And before you know it, I got to beating on the thing and, and lifting hands. I don't know how the car stayed straight. And I didn't hit nobody. But I was just, God said, he, he, fit, he going off. Let me, let me go on. Holy Ghost, keep him right there now. Don't let him hit nobody. In other words, can God get some praise on the other side? See, because as much complaining as we did when we were in the problem, how much praise did he get when we come out of the problem? Is there anyone cheerful that God brought you out? And if you're cheerful, the prescription is praise. That you ought to have, oh, no, 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 I I don't praise like that. You know, she's not, no, you better quit all that lying. If the Braves would have accidentally won, y'all would have been praising God, amen. Y'all, now, Atlanta came down to Houston, didn't do nothing in the Super Bowl, amen. Y'all would have been praising God. But now all of a sudden, when God answers prayer, we don't have a praise. We ought to be able to say, Father, I know because you answered my prayer. Here is the beauty of prayer and praise. It is interaction with God. It is the assurance that you know that God heard me, God answered me, and God delivered me. I'm not just singing he's a deliverer. I know he's a deliverer. Watch this next part, verse 14 through 15. Verse 14 through 15, he says this. Here's another season of life. First season, is there anyone suffering? He must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He must praise. Watch this next part. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered uh, uh, in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. In seasons of sickness, God prescribes that we make our personal requests of the elders so they can offer a perfect prayer to God. Here is the beauty of the church in which you serve, the church in which you're a member of is that God has elders in this church who have a passion for you as people, who when you're going through the suffering seasons of life, they want to pray with you. Here's the beauty that when people realize what God establishes elders for. Now, now I need you to write this down. I'm not going to turn you there, but I want you to write it down. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Write that down. Write that down. Acts 20, verse 28. The apostle Paul is meeting up with the elders of Ephesus in Miletus. And when he meets up with the elders of Ephesus in Miletus to say, hey, it's time for me to go to the next place. He says that the Holy Spirit has made you elders. The Holy Spirit. Now, man chose elders. Titus put elders in place. Paul says put elders in place in Acts 14. Man chose it, but it's the Holy Spirit who has put the elders of your church in place. Can I drop a line right here? Be very careful when anybody speaks negatively against the elders. Why? These are the people designed to shepherd your soul. 
Let them do it with joy and not grief. Let them shepherd your soul in a manner where you realize these brothers are committed not just to feeding me the word of God, but when I'm going through rough seasons and I'm not even praying for myself, these brothers are praying for me. See, you have to know one thing is that there are things that elders labor over in prayer, over congregation and over membership. We have elders at our church and we labor over certain things in prayer. And it, and, it, and it wounds us to see someone in the body suffering like they're your own flesh, but they are your own brother and sister in Christ. So when I'm suffering and there's a season to where I'm sick, weak, feeble, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, possibly physically, I got to know, you know what? I've got some elders that God has designed at this church that want to pray for me, that want to take me before the Lord. Now watch this. James 5.13, is anyone suffering, going through a personal difficulty? Let him pray. But is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. In other words, there are some situations in your life that you need to recognize you can't handle by yourself. And that's why God has designed shepherds over your souls to intercede on your behalf for what you're going through. He says, now watch this. And when the elders pray, the prayer offered in faith will restore such a one. And if he's committed sins, the sins will be forgiven him. Now, this is interesting because In Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, you see that there were four good friends, and they bring their paralyzed homeboy to Jesus Christ. They got a paralyzed homeboy. He's laying on a cot, and his four homies, they're walking up there to see, hey, hey, Jesus is down there healing folk. And so he's down at that house right there. And his four homies are carrying him, and they're carrying him down there to Jesus. And the very first thing that does, they get there, and there's so many people gathered together that nobody's kind enough to say, hey, let let the lame man go through. So they say, oh, man, y'all not going to let us go through. We're going to go up on the roof. And so they went up on the roof. Now, you know that they had to be brothers because they just beat the roof in when they couldn't, you know, wasn't no entryway. We're going to get up in here today. Boom, boom, boom. You know, and so they come into the house and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now, hold up, Jesus. We got a problem with that because we didn't bring him here for his sins to be forgiven. See, here's the real problem, Jesus. That when we go to the mall and we're walking together and we're hanging out at the mall, it's four chicks that want to holler at us. And, and the fifth chick don't want to holler at him because he's on the cot. So all we want you to do is just heal him and let him walk. We, we didn't ask him for his sins to be forgiven. See, see, he, he, he blocking us. You know what I'm saying? He, he blocking us. Those five chicks would have got with us, but, but he on the cot. Jesus, we didn't ask you to heal his sins. But he said, your spiritual condition is more important than your physical situation. So he says, if you have committed sins, they'll be forgiven you. In other words, sometimes we're in sin. And the reason why we're suffering is because of some sins that we've committed. So we feel like, can, can I give you this real quick? Uh, in, in Houston, I had to tell some of the young adult ladies of the church, I said, listen, y'all. I said, I know you want to date that brother. I know you love that brother, but here's the deal. You have to quit engaging in marital relations uh, prior to being married to him. But, but, but before he puts the ring on it, are you following me? Uh, so, 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 so don't do that. Why? Because you're trying to test out the waters and let him know what he's working with. But the reason why he left you is because uh, you did that. Now, now watch this. Help me now. I'm suffering mentally with the breakup. I'm suffering mentally. I'm, I'm hurting. I'm, I'm struggling. But no, no, no. You're not struggling over he broke up with you. You ought to have been struggling over your sexual immorality. Oh, y'all not with me no more? James 5.16 said this. It says, if you've committed sins, they'll be forgiven you. In other words, when you find yourself in certain situations, figure out why am I really in it? Am I suffering honestly and innocently or have I participated in some sin that's brought me in this situation? Oh, I know y'all want me to get in the Bible a little bit more. Okay, no problem. John 5, 
the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus heals the man. He's been laying there 38 years. Great story. And then Jesus goes and finds him in the temple and says, hey, look here, homeboy. Don't do no more sinning unless something worse happened to you. What you lose to the man wasn't just there 38 long years suffering on his own. He was there 38 years suffering because of possibly some sin that he had committed. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have said that to him. See, think about some of the situations that we find ourselves in to where we finally have to bring it to the elders in the fourth quarter of life. In the fourth quarter of what we're going through, we've been handling the situation all by ourselves and yet have not gone to the Lord and found, found answered prayer. Let me give you these last things. God prescribes in verse 16 perfect prayer as the medicine to end our seasons of private sin. God prescribes as the medicine to end our seasons of private sin, perfect prayer. Pray for them and they will be forgiven. Pray for them and they will be forgiven. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. Notice this, this word effectual is the key ingredient to the healing or suffering in your situation is prayer. The key ingredient. Y'all, back in Austin, Texas, my mom and dad used to make Kool-Aid. And as they made Kool-Aid back in the day, I don't, y'all, y'all may be too young for that. Uh, they, they, they'd get that, that carton, and they'd pour water in the carton. Then they'd put in the purple Kool-Aid. Amen? Praise God. And they, they, they put the purple Kool-Aid in. And, 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 but that wasn't the key ingredient. You realize the Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid great, tastes great. That little deal on the commercial. They pour that in. They pour the water in. That wasn't the key ingredient. It was when Mama got that bag of imperial sugar and... And poured that bad boy, and, and you saw the, the, the sugar go up like that all the way up. And then, if you had a real good mama, she'd get some oranges or, 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 some, or some lemons and cut it up and drop it in that bad boy. That was when you had a real good mama, amen. The key ingredient was the sugar that made the Kool Aid taste so good. Rich took me to JJ's yesterday. I got one of them Kool Aid fixes just yesterday, amen. The key ingredient in your season of sin is prayer. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. You need somebody praying for you. Now, notice this, and I'm gone. Last thing, in James 5, verse 17 through 18, it says this. Last thing, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Let me give you the very last thing I want to share with you. God prescribes perfect prayer to stop seasons of spiritual decline so the seasons of spiritual renewal will come. In 1 Kings, Elijah's people, the children of Israel, have been introduced to Baal worship. As they've been introduced to Baal worship, believing that Baal is the one who makes it rain and not God makes it rain, according to Genesis and or Deuteronomy chapter 28. The people in a season of spiritual decline, Ahab and Jezebel have introduced Baal worship, and Ahab realizes Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, we're not supposed to be worshiping Baal on earth because we won't be worshiping Baal in heaven. And so he says, God, I want to offer up a prayer that will change the whole climate of the culture. God, I want it to not rain for three years and six months. God, there's a problem in our culture, in our society, is that my people are wavering away from you, and they've fallen out of line with the truth. And so, God, for three years, I'm going to pray earnestly every single day. God, don't let it rain. Don't let this false God rule. Don't let these cultural uh, things come in and take over my people. God, pray every day. And then First King says, and then God told him to go pray again. And God prayed again. 
And when, excuse me, Elijah prayed again. And when Elijah prayed again this next time, rain came down. Here's what I'm going to challenge you on. You're in this community. What needs to be stopped? See, this is perfect, powerful prayer to stop seasons of spiritual decline so that seasons of spiritual renewal would come. I want to challenge the Cornerstone Church while I'm here to say, God, here are some issues that are in our community. And through prayer together, united, we want to see them torn down so that you can bring in refreshing and that fruit could be born and that spiritual lives could be saved and everything that's on a decline in our community may be restored by the power of God through prayer as believers. Say, God, we know that you're the only one that can do it. See, here's the amazing thing about why I was so overjoyed when I left. I remember when these brothers left out from Texas coming to Atlanta. And when you leave from Texas coming to Atlanta, I'm like, where are they going? Lawrence and Brown and brothers like that, like, where y'all going? And they just come in and believe that God was going to show up. And guess what he did? And that's why you're in worship today right now. But who else needs to experience this? And perhaps if the Cornerstone Church will say, God, we're calling on you. Lord, we're not going to be wasting time talking about each other, wasting time debating over theological issues. But we want you to show up. And God, we want you to show up and show yourself off because, God, you you penetrated my life and you changed it. And so what if you got united on what God called you all to pray about in this community and you saw stronghold after stronghold after stronghold come down because the power of the living God. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. He doesn't have the A plus Holy Ghost and you got the C minus version. See, we believe everybody in the Bible had that A-plus Holy Ghost and now the Holy Spirit is tired because it's like 2,000 years after the cross and all that kind of stuff. No. You got the A-plus Holy Ghost. And what if you were deeply concerned about kids being raised without a father? What if you're deeply concerned about this mentoring program that's being put in place? What if you're deeply concerned, God, use me as a woman to change some kid's life, some middle school girl's life. God, use me. And everything started changing because God showed up through Cornerstone. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. Let's pray. Father God, bless these brothers and sisters. Help us to recognize that there are various seasons of life that we go through, Lord. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, whether it's suffering, let's pray. Whether it's you've answered and we're joyful and cheerful, let's praise. Whether we're sick, Father, let's call for our elders to shepherd our souls through prayer. And if we've fallen into sin, Father God, let's deal with the realities of the truth and let us confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. Not gossip about what's happened, but pray for one another. And then, God, whatever strongholds are impacting this community, move in such a way, God, because we came together just like Elijah did. And we wanted to see the glory of God fall fresh where it wasn't falling. We want to see spiritual renewal in a place of spiritual decline. God, lift up the name of Jesus and exalt him high in this place, Father God, because his people were committed to coming to you in prayer and see you do the miraculous things that you do in you alone. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen and thank God.